This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 9, Burning Down the House. We left off in the last episode with the Pandavas and Kauravas ready for graduation day. Their teacher, Drona, had been discovered by the boys as he had just left the neighboring kingdom of Panchala with a chip on his shoulder. The king of Panchala, named Drupada, had been Drona's classmate and had promised him a life of luxury when he finally became king. After Drupada became king, however, he shunned Drona as a mere commoner. Drona was shamed and angered by this and left for the Kuru court to plot his revenge. We also heard a lot about the childhood of the two middle Pandavas, Bhima and Arjun, and how their cousin Duryodhana resented their superiority and tried several times to put them out of commission. Bhima and Arjun were by no means perfect. Bhima was unnaturally strong and thoughtlessly beat and bullied his cousins. Arjun was a skilled warrior, but also a prissy little teacher's pet who was willing to go to underhanded means of ensuring he was always the top student. But their cousin Duryodhana made them seem like angels in comparison. He schemed with his uncle Shakuni to find ways to put the Pandavas out of the way so he could be made crown prince. We heard little of the eldest Pandava, Yudhishthira, probably because he was really a good kid. He wasn't the greatest warrior or the strongest of the bunch, but he was the son of Dharma, and he held his brothers back from taking any revenge against Duryodhana's scheming. We have met a lot of characters so far, and we'll meet many more, who will all have some important role in the story. I'm doing my best to leave out any superfluous characters, but I should mention that Drona had a son named Ashvatama, who was about the same age as the Kuru princes, and was also trained by Drona at the same time. There's a legend that when he was born, he whinnied like a horse. I don't know if that is foreshadowing some of the bad things he'll do much later in the story, but you might as well be aware that Drona had a son who stayed loyal to his father through thick and thin. More on him later. After having tested his students and determining that they were now fully trained, he informed the king, Durastra that it was time to have a display of arms. The blind king then ordered a large stadium to be constructed where the boys could make a demonstration of their skills. The stadium was duly constructed and sanctified and a great event was held in which folks from the entire kingdom attended. The event began with the display of archery, on foot, on horseback, on chariots, and from the backs of elephants. Then duels were held, using various weapons. The fights were purely for demonstration, so there was no conclusive outcome, but most people admired the Pandava's skills, while others favored Duryodhana and his brothers. At one point, Bhima squared off with his cousin Duryodhana, each wielding a mace. The crowd divided and took sides of each boy. The two engaged for a few rounds until a riot nearly broke out and Drona had to step in, sending his son to stop the contest. Finally, Drona presented his star pupil, Arjun. As Arjun stepped out into the stadium, fully armed, the crowd went wild. Dhritarashtra asked his brother Vidur to describe what was going on. Vidur told him that it was Arjun in all his glory. Dhritarashtra exclaimed how fortunate he was to have such great warriors as his nephews, the Pandavas, supporting the kingdom. Arjun then set about displaying his skills. He demonstrated his magical abilities to create rain, fire, and wind. He was able to disappear and reappear in different places, and then showed his ability at archery, shooting twenty arrows into a hollow cow's horn hanging from a string. Near the end of this demonstration, as the day was winding down, there came a crash at the gate, and in came another warrior, a stranger named Karna. This mighty warrior entered the grounds, bowed, none too respectfully, to Drona and Kripa, and then yelled out, 
Arjun, whatever feat you have done, I shall do it better, right here before the eyes of all these people. Karna then displayed his skills at archery, doing many of the same tricks that Arjun had just performed. The crowd again went wild, and Arjun burned with anger. Duryodhana, meanwhile, was delighted at this surprise entrance of a warrior who could challenge Arjun. He welcomed Karna and offered him hospitality and friendship. Arjuna was thoroughly annoyed and called out to Karna, There are special hells for uninvited guests, and you shall soon be there after I send you to the other world. Karna's response was equally churlish. Talking is for wimps. Let's settle this with our weapons, and I'll take your head off right here before your teacher's eyes. Thus, the two heroes squared off, the crowd took sides, and even the heavens divided up. Indra caused an immense storm cloud to build up over Arjuna's head, while Surya, the sun god, burned away all the clouds and shone brightly over Karna. As for Arjuna's mother, Kunti, witnessing the fight about to happen, she fainted with dread. Just as the contest was about to begin, Kripa stood in and said, According to the rules of the contest, before a fight may begin, each warrior must state the names of their fathers and mothers and your lineages. At this, Karna's face fell and burned with shame. He seemed to back down over the prospect of revealing his birth. Duryodhana, however, did not want to let Arjuna off the hook so easily. So he stepped in and announced, There's more than one way to become a prince. One is either a born a prince, becomes a champion, or leads an army. If Arjun will not fight a man who is not his equal, then I shall dub him king of the Angas. Duryodhana called upon the priests, who right then and there anointed Karna king of Anga. Karna was blown away by this turn of events, and in gratitude to Duryodhana, asked him, What can I possibly give in return for a kingship? Duryodhana replied, I only seek your friendship, nothing more. Karna shouted, So be it, and they embraced. Having seen his son so rapidly promoted to the title of king, Karna's father emerged from the crowd. He was a simple charioteer, called a sutta. He congratulated his son for his amazing achievement. When Bhima saw this, he laughed. Karna's the son of a sutta. You have no right to fight and die by the hand of Arjun. You have no right to enjoy the kingdom of Anga. No more than a dog has the right to eat the holy offerings. Karna boiled with anger, but Duryodhana responded, Bhima, you have no right to speak this way. Might is the father of Kshatriyas. Like the origins of rivers, the origin of kings are all obscure. Our teacher was born in a trough. How could a doe give birth to a tiger? By this time, the day was over. The pageant had been completely derailed by the entry of this strange warrior. The final contest between Karna and Arjuna would have to wait for another day. If you're wondering who this guy Karna is, who was able to cause such a disturbance, here's his backstory. Way back in episode 7, when I described Pandu's marriage to the princess Kunti, I explained that before she had gotten married, Kunti had been given a magic spell from a great sage. She was told that this spell could summon any god and would give her a son by him. Well, when she got it, she decided to test it out, just a little bit. So she called on the sun god, and it worked. He appeared before her, of course... There were two parts to the spell, and so Surya, the sun god, wanted to get it on. Young Kunti, terrified, tried to get out of it, telling Surya that she was just testing. She was a maiden, and it would be the death of her if she got pregnant. Surya told her it was too late. What was done was done. But he would do her the favor of leaving her a virgin, and she would give birth on the same day so she could avoid getting in trouble. So Kunti gave birth to a glowing, powerful baby boy who was literally born with his armor and earrings on. There was nothing to be done about it, so Kunti had to abandon the child before she got caught. 
she placed the child in a basket and set him adrift down the river. The baby was eventually found by the wife of a charioteer of the Suttajati. This child grew up to be Karna, who disrupted the great weapons demonstration of the Kuru princes. So that explains why Kunti fainted when she saw Arjun and Karna preparing to fight to the death. They were both her sons, so no matter what the outcome, it could only end in tragedy for her. Thus, the rivalry between Arjun and Karna is really a conflict between brothers, one of whom is the son of Indra, and the other the son of Surya, the sun god. Another question you might ask is, how did Duryodhana have a kingdom at his disposal to give away just like that? I can't answer that one. He just did it, and no one disputed it. So now Karna is king of Anga, but also a low-born son of a charioteer, and also the secret son of the queen mother. You might also notice that Drona was not too happy about this guy. First, Karna broke up Drona's big festival, and secondly, Karna challenged Drona's star pupil. Drona was a pretty touchy guy about things like this, see King Drupada, so you can imagine that he'll have a grudge against Karna going forward. Following this event, his students, having graduated into the status of warrior, Drona set out to get his revenge. He asked all the Kuru princes to attack the king of Panchala and take him prisoner. Duryodhana, his brothers, and his new friend Karna all clamored to be in the vanguard. Their plan was to invade the capital city and take its king prisoner. Arjuna advised his brother Yudhishthira that they should hang back, so the Karavas led the attack on Panchala. Duryodhana and Karna entered the city gates in a surprise attack and began fighting their way down the city streets to get to the palace. The palace guard responded and used the local buildings as cover while they fired down on the attackers. This halted the Karava attack, and then the townspeople joined in, and they all started showering the Karavas with bricks and stones, forcing them to retreat out of the city. As they retreated, the Panchala king mounted a counteroffensive and pursued the Karavas back towards Hastinapur. Meanwhile, the Pandava brothers stood in reserve, and as the Karavas retreated, Arjun and his brothers mounted a renewed assault on King Drupada. This was Arjuna's moment to shine. He fired arrows in such quick succession that the whole motion was just a blur. Since he did not want the king dead, only captured, he used his arrows to destroy the king's bow or cut his bowstrings. The king must have had a lot of spare bows, because this happened repeatedly. Finally, Arjun leapt from his chariot, drew his sword, and physically grappled King Drupada, making him his prisoner. This ended the war with Panchala. Arjun brought his noble prisoner to his guru and presented him. Drona said to Drupada, Now that I have taken your kingdom and despoiled your capital, would you like to revive our friendship? Well, never fear, I will not take your life. In fact, I'm a Brahmin, and Brahmins are always forgiving. I'll even do you a favor. I'll give you half the kingdom of Panchala. I will retain the other half, so I too will be a king. Thus, we will be equals in our friendship. I only desire that you be my friend. King Drupada, not in any position to argue, expressed his gratitude for having half of his kingdom back. Thus, the northern half of Panchala, bordering the Kuru lands, was made a separate kingdom with Drona as its ruler, while Drupada retained only the second half of his former lands. Having made this arrangement, Drupada was released. He went back to his lands and set out to find a way to get his revenge. In particular, he needed a son. Following this and other exploits, 
King Dhritarashtra had it decided that Yudhishthira was the legitimate heir to the throne. Then Bhima and Arjuna set out on a campaign against their eastern neighbors and subjugated many kingdoms, including ones that Pandu had not been able to conquer, and returned with piles of loot. The people of Hastinapur began to mutter, saying, How is it that Dhritarashtra had been passed over because he was blind, but now he's king anyway? Here we have this capable son of Pandu. Why isn't he made the king right now? Dhritarashtra was aware of this chatter, and it made him very distrustful of his nephews. He worried that they might mount a palace coup. At the same time, Dhritarashtra's own son, Duryodhana, was boiling with jealousy. He complained to his father that there were movements afoot to have them deposed. He pointed out that there was no use in making himself third in line to the throne, because obviously, once Yudhishthira became king, the title would pass on to his son, and all of Dhritarashtra's sons would forever be left out of the succession. He suggested that they should drive the Pandavas out of the kingdom and use their absence to solidify their own political base. King Dhritarashtra protested, saying that the Pandavas were not without their own supporters, and if it came to a civil war, the Pandavas might very well emerge the victors. Duryodhana took this conundrum up with his advisors, specifically his maternal uncle Shakuni, his friend Karna, and his brother Dushasan. Shakuni was very astute politically and utterly unscrupulous. Shakuni pointed out that the Pandavas were really without any allies in the royal clan. Bhishma was sworn to uphold the throne and was thus forced to be neutral about these issues, impotent as it were. As for the Guru Drona, his beloved son Ashvatama was a strong ally of the Karavas, and Drona would always side with his son. Vidur was a bastard and dependent on his elder brother for his livelihood, and Kripa would go along with the rest. Thus, there wasn't much to fear after all. Duryodhana then proposed to his father that they just send the Pandavas away to another town, and while they lived far from the capital, the king and his son would secure popular support for themselves. What Duryodhana did not tell his father was that he was working on a plan to assassinate the young princes at this remote township. And so King Dhritarashtra summoned his nephews and explained to them that in the town of Varanavata there was a festival coming up in honor of Shiva. He asked them to attend this festival as representatives of the crown, and while there, to enjoy themselves in this lovely hamlet. Yudhishthira had a pretty good idea that they were just trying to get him out of the way, but a good son obeys his elders and treats even a suggestion as a command. So he asked for their blessings and prepared to depart, along with his brothers, for the city of Varanavata. As the Pandavas made preparations to depart, Duryodhana summoned his chief architect, named Puruchan. Duryodhana told him that he had all of the king's wealth under his command, but only so long as the Pandavas were out of the way. He then instructed the architect to build a palace for the Pandavas in the town of Varanavata that would be made entirely of extremely flammable materials, paper, cloth, bamboo, oils, and resins. Having thus accommodated the Pandavas in a death trap, they would set fire to the building. The Pandavas would be assassinated, but the townsfolk and barons would all think it had been an accidental house fire. We must imagine that at this point the Pandavas were still just boys, because their mother was sent to accompany them on this journey. We are told that each brother was born a year apart, so we might imagine the Pandavas at this time ranging from 16 to 11 years of age, orphans and otherwise helpless under the protection of a jealous uncle. They were also virtuous and obedient, and so they set out for the town of Varanavata in a somber mood. 
The citizens of Hastinapur smelled a rat and started to congregate around the departing princes, offering to go with them. But Yudhishthira reminded them that the king was like their father, and whatever the king commanded should be obeyed without question. Finally, their good uncle Vidur approached them. He had managed to divine Duryodhana's plans and wanted to warn the boys of their danger. Worried about being overheard, he framed his words in a philosophical riddle using a barbarian tongue, telling them, There are weapons worse than swords. This weapon can wipe out a forest in just a few moments. But the wise creatures are the moles and porcupines who can go under the earth and survive. Yudhishthira understood his uncle's meaning, and thus warned, they departed for Varanavata. The boys arrived to a warm welcome and were placed in regular lodgings while the architect Puruchana completed the lacquer house. Upon its completion, Puruchan escorted the Pandavas and their mother to the new dwelling. As they toured the palace, Yudhishthira was able to quickly ascertain that the building was indeed a death trap. In private, he described his observations to his brothers. Bhima asked, Shouldn't we just go back to our old quarters? Why don't we just leave? Yudhishthira replied that this would be a bad idea. At this point, Duryodhana had them surrounded by his spies. They had no idea whom they could trust. Their best option would be to stay put, but prepare to save themselves from the fire. That same day, a sapper arrived from Hastinapur. He introduced himself to the Pandavas and told them Vidur had sent him, and he was at their service. The sapper informed them that Vidur had discovered more information. It turned out that the night of the fatal fire had been scheduled for the evening of the next new moon in about 14 more days. Yudhishthira set the sapper to work secretly, digging a tunnel so they might escape in the event of a fire. At the same time, the brothers pretended to go on hunting trips by day, but were in fact reconnoitering escape routes. Once the tunnel was completed and their plans for escape all worked out, the boys decided it was time to make a move. That evening, following a banquet which they hosted at their flammable house, Yudhishthira ordered the house to be ignited. It turned out that liquor had been served with the meal, and the corrupt architect Purichan had gotten drunk and passed out in the house. Unbeknownst to the Pandavas, a Nishada woman and her five adolescent sons had also partaken of wine at the feast and had fallen asleep inside the house. Bhima, always enthusiastic about exacting revenge, snuck into the room where Purachana was sleeping and started the fire there. He then set fire to the doors, and then the five brothers took their mother and made their escape through the tunnel they had dug. As the house burst into flames, the citizens all gathered around it and cursed Duryodhana, saying, He surely is the cause of the death of these fine princes. As they combed the ashes in the morning, they found the bodies of a woman and five young men. Word quickly spread of the death of the Pandavas. King Dhritarashtra was grief-stricken and ordered funeral rites to begin. Meanwhile, the boys continued their escape through the jungle all night and into the next day. Their aging mother quickly grew fatigued, and so Bhima picked her up and placed her on his shoulder and thus carried her through the woods. The family traveled deeper into the wilderness, on and on, until they are all nearly fainting with fatigue. Yudhishthira knew the danger was not yet past and they must keep moving, so he asked Bhima to mount all of his brothers onto his shoulders and carry them all through the woods. Bhima carried them all like an elephant, pushing trees out of the way, wading across rivers, and smashing through the underbrush. Finally, Kunti could bear the travel no further and asked to be set down. She then asked for a drink of water. Bhima set them down to sleep in a tree and then set out to fetch some water. 
Not having any means of carrying water, he simply soaked his upper garment in a river and brought that back to his family. When Bhima got back to his mother and brothers, he saw them lying exhausted on the ground. Bhima thought to himself, how did we get to this point? How is it possible that this great queen is lying on the cold ground without a blanket? If only Yudhishthira gave me the word, his wicked cousins would not live another day. Bhima worked himself up to such anger that he couldn't sleep, so he sat up through the night watching for predators. Living in a tall tree not far away, there was a demon, or Rakshasa, named Hidimba. Rakshasas are monstrous ogre-like creatures. This one in particular was black-skinned, had red hair and a red beard, blazing red eyes, and pointed ears. Rakshasas also loved the taste of human flesh. Hidimba had a sister named Hidimbi. He smelled the Pandavas nearby and instructed his sister to sneak up on them and kill them all so they could feast on them. The Rakshasa Hidimbi snuck up on the Pandavas as they slept and saw Bhima sitting awake. As soon as she set eyes on him, she was instantly smitten. She thought to herself that she would certainly make him her husband. She asked herself, how could I obey my cruel brother? A woman must place her loyalty to her husband above that of her brother. If I spare him, I could enjoy him forever and ever. Thus infatuated, she transformed herself into a beautiful woman and approached Bhima. She asked him, What are you doing out here in the forest? Don't you know that there is a wicked Rakshasa Delvi nearby? You're in great danger. She admitted that it was her brother who wanted to eat them, but she offered to take him away directly and they could frolic in the mountains. Bhima refused to depart without his family, so she offered to protect them from her brother. Bhima declared, I fear no Rakshasa, nor Gandharvas, nor Yakshas. I'm not going to wake up my family just because of an ogre. Step aside. I'll take care of this. While the ogress and Bhima were having this discussion, the Rakshasa Hidimba grew impatient. He burst in on them and saw his sister's appearance and quickly figured out that she was in love with this human. In his rage, he made to attack his sister, calling her a harlot. Bhima scolded the ogre, saying, Cool your temper, Rakshasa. I'll fight you, but don't wake up my family. Saying that, he grabbed the ogre by the leg and dragged him away from the camp. Then the fighting began in earnest. The fight was something like two rabid elephants fighting to the death. Trees were felled and the ground shook. The commotion woke the Pandavas and they saw the ogre's sister sitting with them. Arjun approached the fight and called out to Bhima, saying, Bhima, you woke us up with all your commotion. It looks like you need our help. Either finish this guy off right now or I'll have to come to your assistance. At these words, Bhima made a final effort and smashed the Rakshasa to the ground, causing him to scream out in pain. Then Bhima grabbed its head in one hand and his feet in the other and bent the body backwards until it snapped in half, earning him the congratulations of his brothers. Bhima then turned to the beautiful ogress as if to kill her as well. Yudhishthira had to stop him, saying, You have already overpowered her brother, so what kind of threat could she pose to us? There's no point in killing her. Hidimbi then declared to them all her love for Bhima and appealed to Yudhishthira to allow her to marry him. Yudhishthira consented, permitting Bhima to go off with her each day so long as she brought him back to his brothers by nightfall. Bhima, having agreed to this arrangement, left with Hidimbi to frolic in the woods and mountains. Not long after, the Rakshasa woman conceived a child and gave birth to him the same day. This is how it works with Rakshasas. The child grew quickly, in just a few days he was fully grown. The child had an abnormally large, bald head, and so he was named Gatot Kacha, which means water pot head. 
The boy was immensely strong and powerful with the magic of the Rakshasas, as well as intensely loyal to his father and uncles. He promised them that he would come at any time if they needed him. He then departed with his mother for the mountains. Following this episode, the Pandavas traveled incognito across the lands of India, visiting the holy sites in the guise of ascetics, studying the Vedas and philosophy. They eventually came across their grandfather, Vyasa, who was delighted with the decision the boys had made to live in the forest. He promised them that their exile would not be forever, and that their experiences living off the land would one day help them greatly. Vyasa comforted their mother Kunti, promising her that her sons would one day win back their birthright, and she would see justice done for them all. Vyasa predicted that one day Yudhishthira would be emperor over vast territories, but for now they should move to a village called Ekachakra and stay there anonymously. Vyasa introduced the princes to a Brahmin living in this town, and told them to stay there quietly until he returned. That's all for now. We'll leave our young princes, living in obscurity like Brahmins, praying and begging their food. Their uncle and cousins believe the Pandavas are all dead and out of the way. Only their good uncle Vidur secretly knew of their survival. Duryodhana, meanwhile, happily took up his post of crown prince, spending the treasure won by his cousins to build alliances and support among the barons of Hastinapur. Next time, we'll see the Pandavas come out of hiding in a big way winning alliances with neighboring kingdoms, and more importantly, a single wife for all five husbands. Thanks for listening. <laughs>